I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. This episode is part of the silver lining theme in which I will try to explore some of the bright side of the COVID-19 crisis with some of my wisest friends. My guest today is Will Polston. Will is a coach and the founder of the Make It Happen movement, which basically is aiming to empower a billion people to turn their excuses into results. I love that sentence. Will is a coach for business people, performance athletes, and everyone that actually requires his help from someone who is in depression right now to someone who wants to improve his mind. He calls himself a mind strategist. Well, I can't tell you how much I am excited about this conversation. We connected a while back on a shared mission to try and make a difference. You do it very differently than I do. So tell me a little bit about Make It Happen. What is that? So yeah, Make It Happen is essentially a coaching and training organization. As, uh, as you already mentioned, I have a mission. I want to empower a billion people to transform excuses into results, to benefit themselves, their family, their friends, their community, society, humanity, have what I call the ripple effects. So we have a number of different services that we offer, everything from networking events around the UK to coaching programs to online memberships basically the vehicles that enable people to connect, to upskill themselves, to evolve themselves and make a difference. How does it work? I mean, why are people sometimes stuck in excuses? That's a great question. I think that it all comes down to people's mindset. That, that's really what it comes down to. It comes down to people's mindset, which is basically just an established set of beliefs of, about what they have. And people have been conditioned in a particular way to believe a particular map of the world and because they're so used to that map of the world they just are on that those tracks but once that can be explored and people can learn that there's a different option out there and that the map is not the territory then they can open that up and start to get different results in areas that they want that's interesting and when we spoke about this the first time you told me that you're very interested in quick results in showing people the real real challenges and helping them achieve results quickly. Tell me uh, first, if you don't mind without sharing names, a couple of examples of success. You know, someone that was in a specific situation, a change of mindset that led to another situation. Yeah. I mean, there's one that always stands out to me is, um, so we, we run events called the Evolve Network around the UK in six cities around the UK every month. And I went up and spoke at one of our events in Newcastle. Um, I came back 24 hours later, I had an email, a 1,567-word email from this particular person that decided that they wasn't going to commit suicide as a result of coming to that event now and hearing what was possible for them. So that's one that stands out. So that was great. There's such a breadth. I mean, I've had people that I've worked with that are professional athletes that have gone on to win titles, business owners that have started businesses, business owners that have sold businesses, people that have got into relationships, people that have left relationships, people that have decided to have children that wasn't sure about having children. So there really is quite a broad spectrum. But for me, the real success is about people living the life that they want to be living, not the life that 
parent or an authority figure has thought should be the life that they should be living, but living their life so that they can truly say that they're fulfilled in all of the key areas of life. That for me is when people have got to that point and they can say, yeah, do you know what? I have no regrets. I've done everything I wanted to. I really am living to the, the best of my abilities. That is truly what makes me be fired up and uh, feel good. Is that something that was part of your experience growing up that you at the beginning were not living the life you wanted? Was there a turning point? A hundred percent. I believe our values, what we value, and I talk about values in two different ways, means values and end values, but our means values, the things that we do to achieve fulfillment a result of our perceived void. So things that we perceive to be missing are what we sort of strive to feel. And for me, I grew up with a belief that money equaled happiness. And that kind of come about because I've got my dad worked really, really hard, worked in London. He was head of IT for a big brokerage, left the house at five in the morning, got home at seven o'clock at night and hated his job. You know, hated <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. But he had a family. There was four children and my mum, so six of us in total. And um, he worked really, really hard. He'd bring that stress and that frustration back home with him. I, I'm also fortunate I've got two very wealthy uncles. One of my uncles is a billionaire. The other one's a multi-multi-millionaire. And he always used to say, they just got lucky. You know, they just got lucky. And so for me, there was a time when my dad did leave the city, went to set up a business with one of my uncles. That didn't happen. He ended up getting massively depressed, had feelings of depression very stereotypically depressed, slept in a separate room, curtains shut, so on and so forth. And for me, at 11 years old, I thought, well, hold on a minute. There's Uncle Mark, he's a billionaire, he's really happy. There's Uncle Steve, he's a multimillionaire, he's really happy. There's Dad when he worked in London, all right, he was stressed and he used to moan a lot, but he's a lot happier than he is now. Now he's depressed, he doesn't leave the house. My mum had to go out and work three different jobs. So for me, I was like, well, it's obvious, money equals happiness. So I became that kid. I was the Dell boy at school, buying and selling and doing whatever I could to, to make any money. And then got into investment sales at quite a young age, become very financially successful at a very young age. And then when I started that whole process, I come across personal development. The more personal development I did, the more money I made. So I was like, this is brilliant. Until one day I went to an event with Tony Robbins um, eight years ago and I had what I call my lightning moment. And that moment I realized I cried my eyes out for about 15 minutes because in that moment I realized that my belief 10, 12 years prior to that point that money would happiness wasn't what it was really about. What my real drive was about was my family and people achieving what it is that they're capable of achieving, not allowing excuses to get in the way and being able to do that to benefit themselves so they have that fulfillment, but also that fulfillment can overflow and other people around them can benefit in terms of their family, their friends, their community, so on and so forth. So yeah, there's very much a reason behind it. That is incredible. And I'll have to say it's not unusual. I mean, I don't know of a single person that did not start their life chasing something that wasn't really what they wanted in life. I think the interesting side is that most of them keep chasing it for the rest of their life. And so many of my dear friends and people I work with and people I speak to in events and so on have never actually had that moment where they cried their eyes out and said, that's not what my life is about. How do you get people to that point? Did you have a process to, as a mind strategist, how do you highlight that to people? Yeah, there's a couple of ways that I highlight it. So I talk about people identifying their North Star. So for me, you think about it, we've used the North Star as a guiding light for millennium. But to my knowledge, and you might know differently, uh, Mo, but nobody's ever been to the North Star. <laughs> I've been a couple of times, but you know, I don't mention it publicly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but we've used it as a North Star. So 
so many people, they just drift through life. They don't have goals. And even those do have goals, they have such short-term goals that they end up sort of zigzagging through life. So they set a goal, they achieve it. They're like, now what? And they set another goal. And they go, now what? And they set another goal. And they become very unfulfilled very quickly. So for me, having a North Star, I get them to identify their North Star. And for me, what's important with a North Star is identifying a goal that's the equivalent of trying to empty the sea with a spoon. You know, it's such a big goal that you're never necessarily going to achieve it. So you've got something to wake up for every day, something that has meaning, something that's making a difference to others in a positive way. And then we reverse engineer that. So then we create the North Star trajectory, the ultimate 10 year, five year, three year, one year. So now we've got a plan we can look forward. And then the way that I get them to identify what it is that they truly want is a couple of different processes, a series of questions that I go through with people. But one of the most powerful that I use is, is something called the Scrooge method. So the Scrooge method is identifying all of the things that they've been doing that's prevented them from achieving what they want to achieve. And then we identify how, what's that cost them in the past? What's it costing them now? What's it going to cost them in the future? So we get really clear on the impact that's having them, which is causing them quite a lot of pain. And then we go through the various questions to open up what the dream would be. Similar questions to an Iniki guy. You might be familiar with an Iniki guy, which is sort of a reason for being. So it's sort of Venn diagram. It's the equivalent of what you love, what you're good at, what the world needs and what you can be paid for. So a few different questions like that. And there's two really powerful questions I ask. One is if you could you imagine you've got grandchildren way out in the future, what would be the one message you'd tell your grandchildren to live their life by? And that someone comes up with that answer. And then I ask them, are you living that? And most people, the answer is no. That is so clever. Yeah, it's a big realization. People they go, hold on a minute. It's that important. It's so powerful that you want to give this gift to your grandchildren, but you're not taking that gift yourself. So that's a big realization for people. And then the last one is if you imagine that you'd lived. So imagine fast forward right into the future. I plan on living to 150. So I'll be at 150 years old on my last day of on this planet. What would be the one main thing I've done to make the world a better place? And that question, again, opens up a possibility for people that they've maybe never even considered before, but sort of is intuitively within them to want to know what to do. I love everything you spoke about here. This is so powerful and so clever and so simple at the same time. I wonder, though, I mean, I can see how that would motivate someone like me to set clear targets and move forward and understand my value and so on and so forth. How would that help someone who is in a state of depression or unhappiness or you said people in relationship challenges or whatever, how would that help? Yeah, it's a really good question. For me, the people that the sort of the extremities in terms of their feeling. So there's two things. First of all, is getting them to identify what they do want. So what is something that they do want? And one of the challenges that a lot of people have when they're sort of at the lows is that anything that seems too far out just seems impossible. You know, the reason that people have feelings of depression, so I don't believe anybody's depressed. People say, I have depression. You can't have depression. You have glasses on. You could give me your glasses. But if I said, give me your depression, you can't give it to me. So you have feelings of depression, which is, again, absolutely fine. But it's acknowledging that they're feelings and it's not an identity. It's not something that you have that you can't get rid of. And depression typically is when people are comparing a fantasy to a reality. So one of the best things that we can do is rather than look at this 
thing that's way out in the future that just seems impossible is introducing a technique that Navy SEALs use, which is knowing what the mission is, but they drill down. They get so tunnel vision focused on what the next step would be that we look at that. So we know what the end goal is. We reverse engineer it. We look at the very next step. So what is that next step for that person? There's real lows. And we focus on that or the person that's in a relationship that's really unhappy in their relationship or that very next step, rather than thinking of the dream partner and skipping happily down the road, the very next step might be having that challenging conversation. And the step before that is planning what you're going to say in that conversation. So it becomes very logical, very pragmatic and taking those tiny micro actions, the string that you'd pull on a jumper, you know, it just starts unraveling once you, once you started that process. I can see how valuable this can be. I mean, this is really incredible. One of my favorite conversations in a long time. Have you thought about the current times we're going through? Coronavirus, the challenges that come from that, the lockdown that we're, you know, we're experiencing everywhere in the world, the potential economic impact. How do you suggest people deal with that? Yeah, it's a really good question. Again, we've all gone down the route of change right now. Every single one of us are experiencing some level of change at some level. One of the most important things is to get back to certainty because so many people fear the unknown and having that uncertainty. So if we can create that certainty for ourselves, then that puts us in a great position. What certainty do we have now? Well, certainty in terms of what we can create for ourselves. So yeah, certainty of what the future might look like, what the economy is going to be, that is, is an unknown. I completely agree. But in terms of what we can look at in terms of cultivating for ourselves, so giving ourselves certainty in how we're going to show up and focus on the things that we can influence in terms of our own emotional state, our own behaviors, we can create, start to cultivate that certainty. Because if you think in terms of a winning mindset, let's say, for me, a winning mindset consists of three different things. And I'll explain them in reverse order. So the third most important thing is a strategy, having a strategy. What's more important than your strategy is the story you tell yourself because you could have a winning strategy, but if you don't believe it's possible and you don't think that you can do it, then that winning strategy is not going to work anyway. But what's more important than the, the story you tell yourself is the emotional state you put yourself in. So putting yourself in that peak performance state so that you can power on through those things is really important. And some ways to do that right now is I'm a huge advocate for meditation. So meditating, calming yourself, getting present doing some form of exercise, burning off the excess energy that we might have because we're used to having that and it can drive us crazy. Having some sort of structure and routine right now, creating that new routine because so many of us are used to having a routine that's we've never had time or now we have that time. So creating a new routine so that we have that structure. The way I explain it is if we were to drink water, you know, we, we drink water out of a container. That container could be a glass, it could be a bottle, it could be a flask, it could be a shot glass. But if you don't have that container, water becomes very difficult to drink. So we can create those new containers for our time so that we feel like we're progressing and we feel like we're moving forward. I love this. I think I will, however, even add, if you don't mind from my side, that there is some kind of certainty that people normally forget, which is in the long term, no virus has ever stayed forever. No economy has ever stayed collapsing. That life is cyclical and that the certainty is that within some time, 
this will return. There is certainty around how other countries around the world that had started their lockdown earlier than we eventually got out of it. There is certainty around the idea that epidemics in the past when treated with social isolation or what I call physical isolation, it ended up with the right results. And so I like the idea that the biggest certainty we have is the certainty of our attitude and our actions. And, you know, I wrote about that and I really, really believe in that. And I think the breaking it down to the reality of I can influence this situation. I can turn this situation to my favor is a very interesting approach. I can turn it at least better than where it is right now. And one of the things I love about your work, Will, in general, is that even though you touch upon very undefinable topics sometimes, you know, how people feel, what intentions they set for themselves for the future, their careers, and so on and so forth, which are usually very fluid, you always go back to a process. You seem to be quite structured around the way you go through things. And there is something that I believe is quite useful in our current situation, which is a process of gratitude. I know that you have a very, very set process for that. Can you talk us through this, please? Yeah. So just sort of pre-frame it. So nothing in life is good or bad, right or wrong, happy or sad. They're all one, but they're either end of a spectrum. So a lot of people, they think I want to be happy. As and, and I know obviously you've got your own explanations of happy, but for me, happiness is still an extreme of a pole. If you had a pendulum that was swinging, you've got happy on one end, you've got sadness on the other. Whereas gratitude for me is a state. It's not an emotion. So it's a state, it's a vibrational state. And the vibrational state, and I, I don't know how familiar you are with um, Dr. David Hawkins' work and the, the map of consciousness, but if you take the logarithmic scale that they use, the, the sort of highest levels of frequency and enlightenment, for example, which is the, the highest level they talk about, it's a state where things are unconditional. Life just is. There's no good, there's no bad, it just is. And for me, gratitude is just unconditional love. It's love in its purest form. There's no biases towards it. So how do we cultivate that? How do we get that? Well, I believe that constantly a state of love, and I know that you spoke about um, the default state for babies is happy, just to be happy, which one would argue is sort of unconditional love. You know, babies, they don't have any bias. They just are how they are. Um, so therefore, the problem, if you like, has to be us. It's our perception of something. So how do we change a perception of something is then what it, the question then becomes. How do, we, how do we change our perception of something being good or bad? And that's the process that we go through. So one of the ways that I do that, I'm a, a huge fan of and student of Dr. John Martini, who, if you're not familiar with, I regard him as one of the, has one of the most advanced concepts and philosophies on human potential and behavior. And he has a process called the values determination process. It's a 13 questionnaire you go through and it identifies your values. So once we know your four highest values, then we go through a process of taking whatever the challenge is. And then we look for what's a benefit to one of those four values. And I'll preframe it again. So if you imagine balance scales, we've got a scale and it goes up one side, up the other. So we don't use them that much these days because we've got electronic ones. But if you put a brick on one end of that scale and you put a grain of sand on that other end of the scale, obviously the brick's much heavier. But if we keep adding grains of sand, gradually we might end up with tens of thousands of grains of sand, but eventually we'll get to a point where they're equal. Now, when we're doing benefits, quantitatively and qualitatively, we can get to them being equal. So yes, we might have to find lots of little benefits, 
some of those benefits will combine together and we create sort of this giant benefit eventually. And we'll get to a point where if we keep adding those, we'll get to balance. So that's basically the process. So the way that we do that, like I said, is the four highest values. We keep looking in what I call the eight key areas of life. So in your health, in your fitness, in your family life, in your social life, in your relationship, in your business or career, in your financials, in your own personal growth, how are you finding those benefits? And then finally, what we do every time we find one benefit, we expand upon that by looking for the primary benefit, which is first thing we come up for. We look for what's the benefit of that, which is the secondary benefit. And then we look for what's the benefit of that, which is the tertiary benefit. So we get a really detailed version. And typically, I mean, you'll come up with anywhere between 100 to 200 benefits typically to get to a point that you're at balance. And you'll know you're at balance because you'll just feel this release of energy. You just can't comprehend quite often you'll get a tear of gratitude because you just know that you've got to that point of gratitude that was a bit complex for me so i'm sure it's a bit complex for some of our listeners so let's take an example what you're saying here is that if i have a value let's say my health and fitness right and i really start to visit that value in depth i will start to see elements of benefit or elements that are worthy of gratitude in myself, in my current life around that? Is that how it works? So take the coronavirus situation right now, right? That's the negative that we want to change. What's the benefit to my health and fitness coronavirus? Well, the benefit is I can go on longer walks. Well, what's the benefit of that? Well, the benefit of that is I'm getting fitter. And the benefit of that is I can enjoy a healthier lifestyle, which is my goal in the first place, right? So we're finding those benefits. That's just an example with health and fitness. Then you might turn around and say another benefit to coronavirus benefit right now is that I've got more time. Well, what's the benefit of the more time or the benefit of the more time right now is I'm getting to finally get to learn Spanish. that I've always wanted to learn, but now I've got the 30 minutes. What's the benefit of that? Well, now when I go on holiday, I'm going to be able to have conversations. The benefit to that is that I'm going to feel part of a, a community that I've never been able to feel part of before. And you just keep expanding out those, those benefits. Oh, wow. I love this process. Actually, I'm going to ask our listeners to maybe go to my social media pages. So for Happier 1 Billion, Happier to Yours, which I will share at the end and actually share some of those benefits. I think there is so many benefits to the situations we're in. And I realize there is so much difficulties. There is so much challenge in the situation. Some of us have been diagnosed. We went through tough times. Some of us may have lost loved ones. You know, the economy is uncertain and so on and so forth. But our brains are trained to look for those issues. They're trained to focus on what's going wrong. And we forget to focus on what's going right. And I love the idea that you're going three layers deep. So every benefit leads us not only to what it is, but to so many more And in reality, if you think about it, you know, whether the time we're saving, the ability to exercise, honestly, cooking at home is so much better. The impact on our environment, the air is cleaner. So many things, so many things are so much better, surprisingly, despite the fact that there are other things that are not. And I think the idea of separating them and looking at them as lists of benefits and gratitude makes it really, really, really interesting. How do you turn that into a habit? Again, routine, I know, is a big part of your work. So how do you do that? 
So I'm a big advocate for morning routines. I've got a pretty intense morning routine. But for me, gratitude is a part of our brain and is the reticular activating system. And that's the part of our brain that enables us to focus. So I start my day typically writing out 10 things that I'm grateful for. And by just doing that process, it's engaging me to focus on the positive. And when I do that, there's a few little techniques that I use. So one of the things that I'll do is I'll think of people. So I'll think of people in my life that I'm grateful for. So I'll think of my operations manager or my sister, and I'll think of my brother or my best friend, and I'll, I'll really cultivate those moments, a specific – my mom's going, oh, I'm grateful for my car, and I'm grateful for a house. You're just saying it for the sake of saying it. By thinking, right, who am I grateful for and the reason why. So adding the because on the end is really beneficial. So writing it down, doing that process. Another thing that I do is I think of the things – if they hadn't have happened, it would have been a real inconvenience. We've all had that time. Oh, man. You know, we've all had that time where you've got to the office and you forgot your keys or you've got in the car and you knew that you needed to fill up the night before, but you forgot and your alarm went off late. So you've now running behind and you've got to stop for petrol or the time when you get in the shower and the cold water's gone and you've gone downstairs and the fridge has turned off. So all the food's gone off. All those things that we take for granted. I mean, even I'm sure you and I woke up this morning, neither of us thought, ah, I wonder if electricity is going to be working this morning, or I wonder if the Wi-Fi is working today, because we've just become accustomed to that being the case. But if that wasn't, it would have been a real inconvenience. So thinking about those things that we take for granted is a really surefire way to bring that. And I always say there's two ways to be grateful. You can get what you want, or to want what you have. And it's a lot easier to do the latter, that's for sure. I can't tell you how true this is for the secret of life itself. In my work, I usually call this looking down. And the reality is that we always look up and think of what is missing. You know, what does the other guy have that I don't have? How was life four weeks ago or five weeks ago? And how is it now? You know, why did they take away my ability to jump on the tube every day and be stuck in traffic and so on? And, and somehow we always compare to what we don't have. We forget to look at what we could have, but we've taken for granted. We've just, we actually have, but we factored in. Or what could have gone wrong? Imagine if, you know, if you're healthy today, that basically means you're not infected. That's something to be very grateful for because others are. And I think that's such a valuable advice. I love the way you structure things. One last thing I want to ask you about is that idea of a ripple effect. So your mission is quite wide and quite large. Mine too. I don't know how optimistic you are about reaching a billion people. I always call it an ambition. I'll work for the rest of my life to try and reach it. But who knows? Maybe everyone listening could help me and you to reach more people. So what's the ripple effect? How does that work? I talk about the ripple effect. So by me achieving what I'm capable of, I'm benefiting myself. I can benefit my family, my friends, my community, society, humanity, the universe. So that's what I refer to as the ripple effect. That billion people goal for me is my North, North Star. Star. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's my equivalent of trying to empty the sea with a spoon. I'm not sat at home with a tally every day going, yep, there's another five people I can cross <laughs> off. The yeah. I'm not doing that, but I'm working on the basis. I believe that if I can work with 10 million people within my lifetime, which I think is very, very doable. You know, when you think about the podcast downloads and the social media reach that we can have and, and all those things, 10 million people is, is very, very achievable within a lifetime, especially when you break that down over 50 years. Now, if those 10 million people can impact 10 others, 
Yeah. And those people can go and impact another 10 others. That's how very quickly it can spread. And uh, when you just look at it like that, so that's why I don't really measure it, but it's, it's a, a moonshot, as you might call it, of what I want to strive towards. And I think that's the right way to do things. Well, you and I can talk for hours. I am so grateful for the wisdom that you brought today. It's really so simply explained and so profound. And I'm hoping a lot of the people that listen to us today will take some of your work and help you spread it to 10 others uh, through the ripple uh, effect. So if you want to learn more about Will's work, go to make-it-happen.co.uk or join his community on Facebook, make it happen. I think it would be worth your time. I think Will has so much to teach us. Will, you're a good friend. I'm so happy that we had this conversation. And I hope to have you here again soon. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I look forward to being back. And for all of you who joined us, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media. Search for MoGaudet, SlowMo, Soul for Happy, or One Billion Happy. I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, there is always time to slow down. Until next time. Stay happy.